This is Your Own Best Company, a podcast for people who love to work alone. Hey there, everybody. Franklin Taggart here, and this is Your Own Best Company, a podcast for people who love working alone. Um, The person that I'm going to be introducing you to today is someone that I've known for just over a year. Uh, We met uh, through some online networking mixers. Um, Michael Roderick is someone that I've grown to appreciate and admire quite a bit about uh, for many reasons, but um, one of the one of the highlights uh, that I have to push is that uh, I think Michael is just one of the most thoughtful and articulate people that I've run across in the last little while, and I've always enjoyed the conversations that we've had, so I wanted to bring one of those conversations to you. Uh, Michael is the CEO of Small Pond Enterprises, which helps thoughtful givers become thought leaders by making their brands referable. And we're going to be talking a lot about referability today. Uh, their message, th- making their messaging memorable and their ideas unforgettable. He's also the host of the podcast Access to Anyone, which shows you shows how you can get to know anyone you want in business and in life using time-tested relationship-building principles. Michael's unique methodology from his own experience of going from being a high school English teacher to a Broadway producer in under two years. Now, on the personal side, he's a dad with two, two lovely daughters, uh, Juniper and Diana, and uh, his lovely wife, Nora. He is a big fan of comic books and chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> so, Michael, I'm just delighted to have you here as a guest on the podcast. Um, yeah, what I'm a fun introduction. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I'd like to start a little bit. Um, we met in a in a mixer that you host with Jason Van Orden, mm-hmm. um, and it's turned into something that you call GEM, uh, Generous Entrepreneurs. What's the M? In me- in media. Oh, that's right. Generous entrepreneurs yep. in media. And we meet once a month. Um, generally, uh, there are a few breakout sessions. And then at the end, there is a choose your own adventure session. Mm-hmm. Now, were you uh, were you and Jason in on this from the from the beginning? Was this something that the two of you concocted yourself? Or was it something that that uh, you borrowed from someone else? Uh, no, it was. Uh it was pretty much like right at the very beginning of, uh, or actually probably like middle of the pandemic. Uh, and, and one of the things that we had sort of noticed was that podcast guests and podcast hosts very rarely ever like hung out together, you know, like you would see a gathering of podcasts, podcasters right where it'd be like okay here's a virtual gathering of podcast guests you know uh or there would be a bunch of people who sort of would fit that guest category but you wouldn't ever see them together and i think that a lot of that comes down to the aspect of podcast hosts are are often just sort of getting pitched right it's sort of like that's kind of like the 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 thing so we we thought well what if we invited our past guests that we just thought were really great and had a lot of great content and and were really cool people and the other podcast hosts we knew and just give them the opportunity to meet each other without all of the the pitching and the and and just the 
the the overly salesy stuff that tends to happen uh, with a lot of networking oriented events. So that was a big thing for me when I talked to Jason about it. I was like, we're not going to pitch. We're not going to we're not selling anything. We're not going to have people pitch themselves. Like we're going to just stay away from that and just let people get to know each other as people. And if they want to be on each other's shows, if they want to help each other, they'll make that choice. Uh, so that was kind of how we, uh, how we thought about it. And then we were like, okay, well, let's just give it a shot. And we tried it out and uh, it ended up uh, going pretty well. And we've yeah. just kept doing it. It's gone on now for over a year. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the thing that I, I really appreciate about it is, I mean, the breakout sessions are interesting and they're a really good way to meet a handful of people quickly and, mm -hmm. and, you know, go beyond just the, the standard elevator pitch and really get to know a little bit about a person. And then at the end, you, you offer the ability to, to, you know, follow up and, and touch base again. Mm -hmm. um, but my favorite part of the evening is the last segment where we, it's the choose your own adventure. Mm. Now, very often uh, you'll have a room, Jason will have a room and you'll be talking about the things that you specialize in. Um, one of them uh, in recent months that I recall um, that I enjoyed very much was that you were talking about um, positioning yourself um, through, I can't remember exactly the terminology that you used, but it was through sharing a provocative idea. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, cha challenging the dominant narrative. That's the uh, one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it, it's one of those things where when you actually look at a lot of the patterns in terms of the, the talks that get shared very often, the books that we end up reading, the things we, we tend to pay more attention to, uh, most of the time there is a challenging of the dominant narrative. There's a challenging of the way that everybody's kind of seen things and they've been like, okay, yes, this is how to do things. And then somebody comes along and says, actually, <laughs> I don't think this is how you should do things. And here's another way of thinking yeah. about this. Uh, so I love digging into that and sort of helping folks uh, look at that for themselves because I, I think that we all have a dominant narrative that we would like to challenge. I, I think yeah. we all have something somebody presents to us that has been presented as the thing that's gonna fix everything or the thing that's gonna solve everything. And when we go through our experience of it, we realize, actually, that's not a fit for me. It doesn't really work for me. And I found something that worked better. I found something that I, you know, that I prefer. And the biggest thing that that does is it creates, I call it the tribe who disagree. So yeah. every time there's like this crowd of people surrounding someone who is the leader in that particular industry, there's a portion of that crowd who doesn't actually agree with what they're saying, but they're like, well, I think I should be here because nobody's saying anything different. Yeah. And then the second you say something different, you attract that crowd of people who disagree. They're like, oh my God, somebody finally gets me. <laughs> somebody <laughs> finally somebody finally agrees that this is just not the thing. Um, and that's a very powerful position to to create. Now, have you always kind of gravitated in that direction in your social kind of settings where you'll yeah. challenge what's going on dominant? Yeah, I so it 
I have always created things based on uh, experiences that I had that were less than ideal. So like I would go through an experience and I'd be like, okay, well, this is a lovely thing, but these elements I don't like. So I would say, okay, well, what if I did that? And what if I got rid of those elements I don't like? And what if I actually talked about those elements and said, hey, these are the things that I, you know, went through that I don't think are, are useful. And here's something that I think could be more useful. And I would have people jump on those types of experiences for sure. There ever been anybody that says, Oh, here comes that Roderick guy. I better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I'm so, so the thing is, I think there's a big difference between the, the sort of brash, like you're, you're, picking fights and sort of like shooting down everything person yeah. and the person who who basically says well i understand and i respect where you're coming from but i've got another way of thinking about it and i'm open to that conversation you know and yeah. i think that that's the thing i i i don't throw i don't necessarily say this other way that somebody else is doing something is wrong or the worst way. Yeah. I basically just say I think that there are alternatives and I think it's always worth exploring those alternatives. Yeah. I'm very curious about one part of your history before we go into the referability topic. Sure. Um you draw on your experiences both as a high school teacher and as a as a Broadway producer in a lot of yeah. the things that you talk about. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I'm a person who has uh, um, a long history as a musician, but also a, a, as a consultant, as a coach, as a, I was at one point a gang intervention program director. <laughs> wow. So <laughs> it's like, I've had this long list of really weird jobs, um, <laughs> but I love the fact that you draw on that experience in the work that you're doing now. And yeah and bring some insight from that. Can you talk a little bit about, you, you started out as a high school teacher. Yes. And in, was it in English? Was that correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I taught English and I ran the drama program at the school. Uh, I also, I had a little stint where, uh, I think it was two summers. I was the Dean of discipline for the summer school, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which was fascinating. Like, yeah, bet. you know, <laughs> Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I loved teaching. It was a, it, it was an amazing, uh, amazing, amazing experience. Uh, but one of the things that I saw just in education is that very, very often the way that you are evaluated is really tied to whether or not you're getting kids through tests is basically kind of what it comes down to. Yeah, and right. I sort of had, uh, I remember I was actually reading Seth Godin's book, uh, linchpin when it had first when it first come out and there's this section where he talks about school and factory workers where yeah. he's basically like we learned how to be good factory workers by sitting in rows and doing what we were told and that's why school was structured so that we would be perfect to like sort of shift into the factory and i was reading this and i was like oh i'm a factory worker i'm just <laughs> pumping out kids, you know, to pass a test. Uh, and I, and in that moment, I was just like, I, I can't do this for the rest of my life. 
Like it yeah. just, it, there's, there's something else. And, and I knew I loved teaching and I was like, well, there are other things that I can teach. There's other places, there's other ways that I can use this expertise. And, and that's what really kind of sparked uh, that uh, that desire to move away from the the teaching and the the steady job and then going into a completely ridiculous industry in terms of how how money is made. Broadway is is one of the most financially precarious businesses in the world like it's just out of control (laughs) i'm always reminded of the producers when when i hear things like that it's like (laughs) yeah yeah well there's a saying in broadway that you can't make a you can't make a living but you make a killing and it's a hundred percent true because if you do happen to get you know very very lucky and and have a show that actually does run really long like a wicked or a hamilton or you know any number of the others that like people you know people recognize you could potentially just kind of live off of the royalties of that show until it closes like they're like you make a good chunk of money but 80 to 90 percent of broadway shows don't even recoup their investment you know never mind uh never mind the ones that literally open and close on the same on the same day (laughs) so how is it that you even found your way there yeah so i i was always interested in theater i was always uh doing things on sort of that smaller level uh of the 99 seat and under is kind of the way that it was often referred uh the off off broadway uh world is where you've got these like small theaters and you do these very small productions and they're the budgets are anywhere between five to like 25,000 that you raise. And I became really well known just in the theater industry. And interestingly enough, the reason I became so well known in that industry was I was one of the first people to start hosting gatherings again, right. Of, uh, of theater companies because again i saw that all these theater companies were in new york but they never talked to each other they were all running around trying to raise money for their own projects and all these i was like well why don't we just get everybody together and i did it as fundraisers for shows so i was basically like okay yeah you donate five bucks uh you come to this gathering at this restaurant where you meet 15 20 30 40 different theater companies all in one shot yeah um and it i became well-known sort of through those circles. And eventually I, um, I got to know a lot of the owners of theaters here in the city, uh, these different venues. So I got invited to a panel of Broadway producers. I got to watch this panel of Broadway producers and afterwards, as always happens with the panel, the producers come down from the stage and everybody crowds around them to talk. And I'm like, there's no way I, I can like stand in this line and still get to the show that I'm producing, you know, just, you know, and as I'm like, kind of just like running out, uh, my friend who ran the theater says to me, you know, everybody's trying to get it, get, get a hold of these people, but they're all going to be at our Christmas party. <laughs> and two weeks later, I get an invite to the Christmas party and lo and behold, a couple of those producers are there. And I'll never forget this because a lot of people sort of see what I do and, and see, you know, what, what I'm about. And they're like, 
that guy must have been like the most like extroverted like be a buddy with everybody you know all this kind of stuff but at, at that time i was actually very very nervous and shy and worried about talking to people and I basically had this moment where I saw this woman talking with the, this producer, we're talking with all these other producers. And I had this moment where I literally had like a conversation with myself. I was like, dude, if you don't go up and say hello, if you don't interrupt this conversation, you might as well just forget about being a producer. Just yeah. like, like, you know, so just go and do it. And somehow I mustered up the courage to walk up and int like interrupt a conversation. First time I'd ever interrupt interrupted a conversation in my life. And I was I just wanted to let you know, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I just want to let you know, I really enjoyed your, your panel. I really enjoyed what you had to say. And I just kind of like talked about, and she turned to me and she was like, what, what do you do? And I, I was like, well, you know, I'm also a producer, but you know, I'm also an English teacher. And she was like, Oh, tell me more. <laughs> she wanted to hear all about being an English teacher. So I talked to her. And then at one point she was like, what are you doing tomorrow night? I was like, well, I've, I'm on the wait list for a show. She's like, no, you're coming with me. Uh, there's a, there's a cocktail gathering of other Broadway producers and I think you should meet them. And, and next thing I knew I was meeting people in the industry and learning about how the industry, how the industry worked. Oh my gosh. That's a brilliant example of how relationships are the, you know, the pathway for, mm -hmm. for opportunity, it really is uh, uh, crystal clear. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so you you did that for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and how was the experience for you? So Broadway is a fascinating thing because, and the metaphor that I like to use is imagine you climb this like ridiculous tree so like you're climbing you're getting like smacked with branches there's like pine sap dripping on you it's like you're sweating maybe even bleeding <laughs> you, you get up to the top of this tree and it is like the most beautiful view in the world yeah and you're like i'm so glad that i did that this view is amazing and about two minutes later somebody calls you for calls you from the ground and says dude your time's up. You got to come down the tree. You got to climb the tree again. <laughs> or somebody's cutting the tree down, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and that's really what it was because Broadway Broadway is all about raising money. So yeah. you go through this sort of arduous process of, you know, identifying investors, finding people who could be a good fit for the show or the project that you're working on. And then you're out having coffee meetings, conversations, talking to people about shows and about projects. And, and it takes time to raise yeah. that money. And very often you're in this very crunched time window yeah. where you'll get a theater and you've got a couple of weeks to, to raise, you know, 200,000, 500,000, a million, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and you got to find a team of people and you got to figure out like, how do we get those, these people together and get the, and then the show goes up. And in some cases, the show closes within a couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, so it it that's kind of the dynamic of it. Uh, but I did things differently because most of the people in my industry they were all about credit. So what they would do is they would go to a producer and they'd say, "Hey, I will raise this amount of money for you if I can get credit on the show, if I can get my name above the title, if I can get, 
you know, this percentage, that percentage, those types of things. And they would go and they would negotiate with producers. And what I did was I just went to producers and said, I have no idea if I'm going to be successful in this. So I'm not going to promise you anything. I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask for credit right now. I just want to get better at raising money. So if you're willing to give me the paperwork on what you're doing, I'm more than happy to reach out to people who I think could potentially invest in it and just kind of see what happens. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing about that was there was a completely different effect where basically a bunch of producers gave me their, gave, gave me their paperwork. So when I would go to an investor, rather than having one project to pitch, I had a portfolio. Yeah. So I was actually able to connect a lot more people to a lot more projects and a lot more money. Uh, And I became really well known as that person who was kind of bringing those producers together and those investors together and, and, and making sure that people knew each other because in the industry, again, it was like this siloed thing. Um, And it was, you know, one of the ways that I, you know, sort of made that, that industry work for me. Um, and found a lot of my a lot of my investors, a lot of my partners came from the fact that I was very, very good at sort of putting folks together and just like finding opportunities, helping other producers become producers, you know, things like that. Wow. How long were you doing that? I was involved in Broadway from about 2008 to... I think the last show I ended up raising on was maybe like 2012, 2013. There were a couple of sort of side projects that came up where I I would like introduce somebody to money, um, you know, like a small investor or something after that, probably around, I think probably about 2015 was probably the last thing that I ended up raising, raising on, or just sort of like, you know, being in that industry, um, you know, in a major way. Yeah. So then at some point, the, uh, a vision started to emerge uh, that became Small Pond Enterprises. Yeah. What's that story? Yeah. So basically, because I had gotten uh, into all of these rooms and I knew all of these people, people started asking me, like, how did you move so fast? Because I went from being a high school English teacher to getting that first Broadway credit in under two years. So I I moved pretty quickly. So I had a lot of people asking sort of, well, how is it that you you sort of skip this line? And I was getting my master's in educational theater from NYU. And one of the things that we did a lot was we did these simulations of experiences. So like whenever we would teach something, we'd have we'd have the kids act out, you know, those scenarios. And the interesting thing about a simulation is that even though you know you're acting, very often you do act like you would act in real life. Yeah. So I came up with this idea to host uh, workshops where I would simulate networking experiences. So I would host these workshops and have people act out. I'd put like two people up in front of the room and I'd be like, okay, so this is a job interview and I want everybody to watch And I want you to watch and see where does this person lose the job or where does this person get the job? And then we talk about like, what are the patterns that you're seeing and sort of how these people interact? Uh, Or I'd create, um, I'd create an instance where the, I would give everybody a role in the room 
and I'd be like, you're the person who's going to stand in the corner. You're the person who's going to be freaked out about going into this cluster. You're the person who's going to guard your cluster and make sure nobody can get, you know, <laughs> nobody can get in. Um, you're the person who's going to give everybody your business card, you know, whatever the scenario was. And I had people act these things out. And at the end of these experiences, I'd have people tell me that they were just like they had started to look at the whole networking relationship building sort of side of things in a completely new way. Oh, bet. And it was pretty awesome. So I was just like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus on teaching this relationship building stuff. I'm really going to kind of dig into it. And because I had, you know, become really well known as a super connector and I've been featured in some books and things like that. I, um, I basically just kept writing about it, kept sharing about it, kept talking about it. And uh, eventually I put together a conference for connectors that I ran for a couple of years. Uh, and again, going back to the whole aspect of like the things you don't want, I had gone to a bad conference yeah. and I, and, and I was in that position. I was working in an educational technology startup at the time. And I basically, I had gone to this conference and because I was, basically selling software i was a pariah at this education conference and i just thought wow so many people basically they get treated this way at these conferences because of these name tags so when i did connector con i had everybody's name but i didn't have what they did on the name tag and then i had these like uh i had this directory of the people who were there but no last names and only the the column about what they could use help with. So you had no idea if you were going up to somebody who was, you know, working at Vanity Fair or somebody who was working at, you know, uh, a comedy club down the street. So there was none of that, like, cause that's the thing like I hate, right. I really, really hate when people sort of treat people poorly because they, they think that they don't have, the the status to 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 be around them i i hate that dynamic so i'm always doing everything i can in the work that i do to make sure that that dynamic is gone right to make sure that nobody is treated as less than because i just think it's i i I think it's a really really poor way to you know to to act towards people kicking all those social conventions to the gutter exactly (laughs) exactly I love it. Um, and I, I think that that kind of same uh, feel comes through in the mixers online. Uh, it's mm-hmm. like, um, I don't, uh, I don't have a sense of belonging or not. It's just like, this is just a great group of people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that was a big thing. And, and the thing is, when you structure something, when you structure something, if you say like, hey, we're all just, we're all just hanging out anybody of influence can come into that environment and not be worried. Yeah. But the second that you structure something where it's a have and have nots kind of situation, right. Where somebody has, you know, attained a certain level of notoriety, et cetera. And you're highlighting the fact that that person's going to be there. Yeah. It just creates this horrible dynamic where basically everybody's kind of trying to meet one person and they're dismissing everybody else. Yeah. So I'm always like, Hey, you know, and that was one of the things I did with ConnectorCon was I told every speaker and every presenter, 
you cannot just speak and leave. Yeah. You have to attend. You have to actually go to other people's sessions. You have to talk like, like you cannot be here <laughs> if your goal is to literally just talk and walk away, you know? Oh, and that, because that's what I wanted. I didn't want that. I didn't want that dynamic. I didn't want anybody to feel like they didn't belong. And I, and when I look at my work, just overall, like everything that I do, even the work that I do around referability, yeah, I don't want people to feel alone. And, and so many people struggle with communicating their value and it makes them feel alone. It makes them feel like their, their stuff isn't valuable. It makes them feel like that. And, and the thing is, when you start to look at your ideas, your concepts, your, the way that you position things, sometimes you're only two or three words away from people being able to get it. Yeah. So, so I just, that's a big, big thing for me is that I, I just, I never want people to feel alone. Isolation is the biggest, uh, it's the biggest business killer that I know. <laughs> yeah. Know? Right. And it's also, it's just, you know, it's so pervasive and it's affecting our collective mental health in not so great ways. Exactly. So I'm, I'm behind your mission a hundred percent, man. <laughs> Thank you. Um, that that leads me then to to start talking about referability um, yeah is a, a passion of yours yeah and uh, i know for a lot of folks like me who are solopreneurs that referability is really kind of the hallmark uh and really kind of the top goal of the marketing that we do is to become yeah. more referable mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about um i know you have a website called my referability Rater. Yep. And we'll, we'll talk about that in just a minute, but <laughs> sure. I'm, I'm really curious as to how you developed referability more into yeah. a process. Yeah. So again, it came from another reflection point, you know, and I think that all, I think if you are a solopreneur and you haven't had this moment in your business, you will have this moment in your business where basically I was selling networking and I realized that networking would not sell yeah and and what i realized about that was that there are too many variables to the success of teaching networking if i mm. i could teach you the best relationship building principles models everything in the world but if your offer is not good you may people may love you but they're not going to pay you yeah. right um there's also the variable of who are you dealing with? Like, what is the timing of those relationships that you're, you know, that, that you're creating? There's too many variables to the success. So I had reached this point where I was really struggling to sell, you know, any kind of uh, networking workshop, relationship building workshop. So I managed to kind of scrape together enough people to do a networking workshop and at that workshop, I said, okay, I'm going to take 15 minutes to talk about a theory that I have. Mm -hmm. And I encourage anybody who's a solopreneur, if you have an offer, if you have something that you're doing, build in time or some area where you can either share a theory or do some kind of experiment. Because this literally changed everything. Yeah. I, I basically took 15 minutes and I said to the group, I said, so this is my theory. 
and it's brand new. I have no idea sort of where it's going to go, but I have a theory that the reason why I got into all the rooms I got into was because people would talk about me when I wasn't in the room. Hmm. And then I shared with them. And I think that if you create a referable brand for yourself, if you make it so that other people are talking about you, the networking piece takes care of itself because everybody wants to introduce you to their friends because you're the shiny object. Yeah. So I get to the end of the workshop. I ask everybody what they want their hot seat to be on. And everybody says <laughs> referable brand. Like let's, you know, two days of my best relationship building stuff. Nobody wants a hot seat on, on asking. <laughs> Nobody wants a hot seat on curating their network. Nobody wants a hot seat on any of the other frameworks or models. They're like referable brand. Yeah. So I was like, okay, there is something, there is something here. So just like I had done with relationship building, I went back and I said, okay, I'm good at building frameworks. Let me build a framework for referability. Let me yeah. start to look at what are the patterns that I'm seeing in terms of why people are sharing these ideas, why people are referring me, why people are referring others, why I refer. And let me look at what are those principles? What are those things? Yeah. Um, so I built a, I, I built a framework around referability. And next thing I knew, whenever I would share that framework, people would be like, take me through that, like, help me do that. Like, yeah. you know, and, and it just kind of kept hitting, kept hitting, kept hitting uh, until I started to notice that uh, this like really interesting part of the market where basically there are all these people who are very good at doing and giving and supporting their, their clients and their audience and they deprioritize packaging themselves. Like they deprioritize, like creating their big idea, coming up with whatever their Simon Sinek circle is, like that kind of thing. And then I realized this is this is the space to work. And yeah. that's when I really just kind of dialed in the business to be about that idea of helping those thoughtful givers become thought leaders. Very cool. That's an inspiring story all in its all on its own. And it's like <laughs> Um, there are a couple of goosebump moments in there for me. Um, primarily the one that, um, that struck me the most is actually the way that you discovered that referability was really the thing that we were looking at. Referable branding, mm -hmm. um, was really the thing that was kind of at the crux of everybody's need. Yeah. And I find it very interesting that that just kind of popped into your head as a theory as you know something that you could you know talk about in the workshop but not necessarily make the workshop about it and yeah. yet that was the thing that ended up turning into what everybody wanted yeah um, i've seen that, that pattern before <laughs> yeah well, well that's the thing it's like so often so i run um so as you know i run a mastermind called hitmakers yeah. where i basically put subject matter experts together and i would say nine times out of 10, there's an exercise that we do where they're sharing, I call it the album of expertise, where they're kind of sharing like their big ideas, right? Like they're the things that they teach, the things that they talk about. And then they go and they vote on each other's without knowing who's voting for who. Like it's all anonymous. Yeah. And I can't tell you the number of times 
where they see that the most votes is on the thing that they have basically kind of like pushed to the side the most, right, <laughs> right? Yeah. they're like that's kind of interesting but i don't know like I, i'm just gonna throw that in there just in case and i think like that's what tends to happen a lot of the time we we have these things that we think oh this is it you know and then we have these things that are kind of like these side ideas or concepts these theories right and so so often we'll share that little theory and somebody will be like tell me more about that let's go here like let's 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 dig into that and i think that that's a really important thing is always as a solopreneur it's really important to be listening right and really paying attention to what are people leaning in on and you know what it's not about what you think is great it's about what they think is great and yeah. it's really really important to be paying attention to that a lot of the work that i do is helping people to kind of uncover their gifts and one of the things that's a very common experience is that when people really realize what their gift is they realize that it's something that they think is ordinary yep you know yeah and it's it's kind of a similar thing. It's like all of a sudden, all of these people are talking about things that to me just don't seem all that exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And it's that I, I often refer to it, uh, especially like if I'm, let's say working one-on-one with somebody, I call it, I, I call it looking for color. So like they'll basically word vomit on me, yeah. whatever it is that they're doing, whatever it is that, you know, is going on. I'll have my notebook out. And I'll listen ever most, most of what they say I'll hear in black and white, but then they'll say something that I hear in color. And I'm like, I'm writing that concept down. And then afterwards I will, I'll, I'll, I'll literally read it back to them. And they're like, really? You think that's interesting? (laughs) Michael, I think we could do a whole other show on, on hearing in color. I love that concept, man. (laughs) I love it. Thanks. there are a couple of things that we need to touch on before we finish up. And one of, of them is, is that you have a website called my referability rater.com yep. R A T E R not R A I D E R. Exactly. Um, but uh, tell us a little bit about, I, I'm assuming that this is kind of the embodiment of the framework that you developed. Yes. Yes. So basically the, the three main principles of referability are accessibility, influence, and memory. So, um, you will see a series of questions that will basically help you see how accessible you're being, how influential you potentially are, and how likely it is that people are remembering your stuff. Uh, And at the end, you kind of get a score that basically says, you know, this is where you're at on this referability kind of side of things. And it's a really great way to just kind of do a temperature check for yourself of what what resources do you have right now and what are the areas where you might want to spend a little bit more time, um, you know, working on and, and, and sort of developing. Okay. So my referability com is where you can find that uh, particular instrument. Now I also want to make sure that we talk about access to anyone. Sure. Um, this podcast has become one of my favorites and it's, it's one that I have auto downloaded into my podcast addict app. Thank you. Um, <laughs> because it's, it's consistently an excellent, uh, podcast. Um, you do follow a fairly, um, standard interview format that you've created. Yeah. And one of the things I love about it is that you start with the origin story. Yes. Um, yes. I love, I mean, I, that is where I 
get the most ideas, concepts for sort of what to talk about next and sort of where to go. Um, And I'm always just very, very interested in how people get to where they are because there's, there's so much that you can unpack there. There's so many lessons there. There's just so much to it. So I, I love starting off with origin story. And one of the things I do when I have, sometimes I'll have guests on multiple times and um, if they have been on uh, more than once, usually they're promoting a book. So I'll ask them the origin story of the book. Yeah. Obviously, like, where did this come from? So how did you come up with this? You know, the, those types of things. So, yeah, I'm always very, very interested in uh, in those origin stories for sure. It's great. Uh, great listening. And it's also just highly insightful and informative. Um, and I love the idea. Um, one of the things that you end with on the show is if they could have access to anyone living, who would it be? Yeah. And it's interesting to hear the range of answers that you get. Oh, wow. It's, it's amazing. Just all the different types of answers. You know, some people will, will go for the standards, right? Like they'll go for the Oprah's and the Richard Branson's, you know, and, and, and those types of things. Um, but then somebody will, you know, mention some completely obscure scientist, right? Or yeah. some writer that you know is doing like science fiction or something right and it's just it's fascinating to uh to hear and and one of the things that as i'm always kind of listening to these you know and and people answering them i'm always like if there's somebody that i already know i like there are definitely times where i'm like I'll reach out to that person and see, can I, you know, can I connect them, right? Like, can I get them into that conversation? Um, And I'd love to, at some point down the line in the show, do some episodes where I just sort of surprise people. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Where it's like, they just come on and it's just like, they think they're coming on for an interview and it's like, here's this person that you've always wanted to meet. Uh, I've just always thought that that would be, that would be a lot of fun to do. (laughs) So who would that person be for you, Michael? For me, it's JJ Abrams. Oh, no kidding. Um, yeah, I've just I I've always been a fan of JJ uh, Abrams stuff. Um yeah. I've like uh but I also I read about him in Shane Snow's book Smart Cuts. Yeah. And he talks about the fact that the way that he kind of rose to the level of prominence he did was that he would always partner with other writers. Yeah. You know, and he'd, and he'd always sort of give opportunity and sort of create that sort of like dynamic. And, you know, he's a comic book fan as well. He's like, he's written, you know, f- he's written four comic books. He's, uh, he's a theater person. He's, he's worked on theater projects. So it's just like, I don't know. I've always been like, he would be very cool to talk to. <laughs> I have a feeling that's possible. I think so. I mean, I, I, I'm sure there are probably so different channels where that could, uh, where where that could happen, right? I'm certainly, and, that, I'm yeah. certain that you only have one degree of separation. Probably, especially with the Broadway <laughs> folks. Like, you know, ask like, hey, so you got JJ on the phone? <laughs> <laughs> so again, uh, for access to anyone, uh, access to anyone podcast dot com is the place to find that, and, and I just pick one and go. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. Thank you. Um, Michael, as far as referability is concerned, let's, let's yeah. leave on that note again. Sure. Um, of course. I do want people to visit the website, uh, myreferabilityrater.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and there will be a link in the description for that as well. But talk to me a little bit, just what, 
what would you encourage people? Um, where would you encourage them to go from here? Um, besides the referability rater in terms of brand referability? Yeah, I, I think that the, the biggest thing is you need to make sure that you're doing, I call it the check for understanding. It comes from, it comes from teaching where when you're in front of a class, you basically are teaching something and then you stop and you just say to one of the students, can you repeat back to me what I just said in your own words? Yeah. Right. So you're just seeing like, did they comprehend it? And I think that we don't do that enough. Like we don't, sort of share whatever the value is or whatever it is that we're working on and then ask the other person, what did you hear? Yeah. Like, what did you, you know, and, and you can do that with colleagues. You can do that with prospects. You can do that, but it's really, really important to understand what are other people hearing? Yeah. Uh, because that's accessibility is, is always going to be your first hurdle. Yeah. And, and we don't refer anybody if we feel silly trying to explain what it is that they do, yeah. like we just, you know, cause, cause referability is all about how, when we share it, when we share somebody else with somebody, it's, it's us looking better to our audience, right? It's us looking like we know somebody who can solve their problem. So if we feel unclear about who that person is and how they're going to solve the problem, we're probably not going to make the referral, right? We're no. probably not going to talk about what they have to offer, who they are, any of those types, uh, any of those types of things. So I think the very first thing, you know, is to make sure that you're doing that check for understanding and make sure that people are really getting it, um, because it's just so easy to not do that. And I think yeah. a lot of uh, people in that solopreneur space, they're going out, they've they've probably gotten some kind of elevator pitch from somebody or somebody's taught them some kind of elevator pitch. Um, and they're depending on that and they're yeah. thinking that that's going to sell them. And that's not what, what's going to sell. It's yeah. going to be, can people understand the value that you're actually providing the transformation that you're actually able to create for the clients that you have? Wow. That's a perfect way to cap what we've talked about. And Michael, I just couldn't, can't thank you enough for being my guest today. Yeah. And, thank you so uh, much for having me. I really appreciate it. Folks, Michael Roderick can be found. Um, oh, there was one other thing I, I was going to mention. I, I'm yeah. loving your mic drops on LinkedIn. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. In fact, so that's much. one of the things that I think I would recommend people do would be to find you on LinkedIn because uh, you do post some um, some fascinating content there. You're You're active there. Thank and you. Uh, I find a, a lot of value in what you're putting putting together on that. LinkedIn. So, folks, uh, check out Michael uh, wherever you can find him, <laughs> and uh, we'll be on to uh, getting a more referable brand now. Awesome! Awesome! Thanks, again. thanks, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for listening to your own best company. If you enjoyed the show, would you do me a favor and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast host? If you really love it, leave me a review or share it with your circles. If you feel like your career is reaching a dead end or you're feeling a deep sense of dissatisfaction in your work right now, I help people discover their gifts and then find or create new opportunities that are the best fit for their talent, experience, and lifestyle. 
email me at coaching at franklintaggart.com for more information. I also help people start, finish, and launch creative projects, and I offer an ongoing marketing mastermind for solopreneurs and freelancers. More information on these programs and services can be found at franklintaggart.com. Thanks again for spending this time with me.